Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. We have a full panel for you today, starting with Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. We also welcome freelance writer, Fraser Brown. Hello. And finally, we have quarter to three's Tom Check. If anyone needs a coffee, I will get you guys a coffee, except for Fraser. Fraser, I'm only getting you a tea, because I understand that's what you people like. And we you drink whiskey, people? not tea. You people, I know, you people. Oh, oh, so racist already. Daddy on. We're going to get banned from the internet. At least I'm not making fun of the kind of food he makes in his country. Like, I could have done that or made a dental reference or, or something. Or, or a goat uh, reference, which frankly would have been accurate. This is, this is really brutal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pile up on Fraser. Fraser, it's just going to get worse, by the way. Yeah. Can we not, can we not victimize the game instead okay, of me? We, yeah, we need something to beat up on that won't fight back. So let's talk about active aggression. Uh, we've all spent the last couple of weeks coming to grips with a game that I think many of us were actually eagerly awaiting. It's a new real-time strategy game from Eugen Systems uh, called Active Aggression. And Tom, I wanted to start with you here a little bit, because I think we could use some stage setting, because there are two reference points that I've seen associated with this game, and that is Command and Conquer's General and Act of War. And I don't think we've discussed either of those games a great deal on Three Moves Ahead, so what is Active Aggression taking from each of those? Why do those keep coming up in relation to this game? First of all, I want to say you're kind of the Charlie Rose of podcasts when you, when you introduce it as Command and Conquer's General. Like it's it's like it's it's command and conquer generals. It's you sound like a guy who hasn't played this a million times, Rob. What's the matter with you? Uh, I think my I think you misheard me. Uh, I'm pretty sure I did say generals. Skype okay, is playing we'll, we'll tricks, which is tape. why we have. Yeah, fine. We'll we'll play back the tape. We'll see. Uh, we'll see who fouled. And Tom, I wanted to start with you here a little bit because I think we could use some stage setting because there are two reference points that I've seen associated with this game, and that is Command and Conquer's General and Act of War. At any rate, uh, no, you're, those, are, those are both two great... Uh, you know what, could you repeat the question? I've completely derailed the podcast already. I suck. Sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I, I think with this new game, we've seen, we, we've seen CNC Generals and Act of War come up a lot, and right. I'm curious what active aggression is taking from each of those and right. why those are being used to sort of describe what this new game is trying to do. I'm also making a note here. Don't correct Rob. You just look like a jackass when you do it. Okay. Uh, now that I've gotten that out of the way. Uh, so, uh, th- th- and this is one of the reasons that I, like you, Rob, I think was really excited about this game. Um, the guys at Eugen Systems, folks now know them for these kind of, not stayed, but more stately, I guess, uh, Cold War games with the, the War Game series. Um, but that's not how they started out. They started out chasing the same type of RTS that, that Command and Conquer did, uh, what I would call a splashy action RTS, you know, where the rules, you know, the controls kind of loosey-goosey and units just run around and they blow up and it's spectacular. Um, so their, their act of war, you know, I'm not even sure, I think it was... Maybe two years after Command and Conquer Generals, I could be, I could have the timeline wrong, um, but they were both cut from the same cloth, uh, and that cloth is what Act of Aggression comes from. That splashy action RTS where there's this loosey goosey gameplay to it, uh, and there's a premium put on spectacle. Now, when it when it comes to, but what distinguished Command and Conquer Generals, for instance, from like mainstream Command and Conquer? Right, this always this always seems to be remembered as the special 
Command yeah. and Conquer. It's a separate tradition within a franchise that I, I think got pretty ridiculous, even by CNC standards. Uh, what made like Generals and uh, Active War different from their RTS contemporaries? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, it hadn't occurred to me, but I think part of what happened was um, they kind of reined in some of the outrageousness. I mean, it's still a very silly game, but they, they, they brought it into the real world. You know, they, they made plausible military units fighting each other. Uh, they weren't crazy. I mean, there were crazy laser tanks and stuff, but it was built on a foundation of, like, actual realistic-looking tanks. Um, you know, the... I forget the name of the actual faction. I'm surprised. Like the, the terrorists or whatever they were called, they would get technicals, which are actual real-world things, pickup trucks with a machine gun mounted in the bed. Um, you know, there were little troops uh, that, were, that were based on things like this guy has a machine gun, this guy has a rocket launcher, this guy has an anti-air missile. Uh, it wasn't the crazy, outrageous, over-the-top, you know, nod and cane stuff from the earlier commanding conquerors. It was kind of a more grounded return to Earth which I think makes for a different kind of spectacle, in a way, makes it more relatable, too, I would say. So as we talk about expectations heading into this game, because I think that was actually one of my first major problems I encountered with this game, is it was just a question of expectation. Because I find that my expectations for Eugen have been sort of reshaped in the last few years, because the first game that I really became aware of them with uh, was Ruse, which for a while was kind of the, it was my hobby horse, RTS. I was always bringing it up in conversations. Uh, I loved it. Nobody else seemed to. Uh, and then, of course, the War Game series came out, which was more real-time tactical, had some really cool, like, simulational elements. And I guess, um, for, from, my, from my point of view, I came to this sort of excited because I was really curious to see how some of the design uh, innovations of Ruse and the Wargame series would then be turned back towards a more traditional RTS. Uh, Troy, I'm curious, did you have any expectation issues here? Or like, what were you looking for from this game? And what did we end up getting? Well, I remember Active War, uh, Direct Action. We have Active War, now Active Aggression. I guess the next one will be Active Sneering or Smiled Shoves. It kind of feels like a step uh, down, as you work way down. <laughs> It, it really does. It's, so I, my expectation was it would be, you know, a little bit similar to that. I was expecting maybe an upgrade because Yugen had done such great and amazing work through the War Game series. And I thought maybe they might bring a little bit more of that to it. And so I, my expectations were, oh, good. They're going back to a traditional RTS. This is going to be fun. They've honed their skill. I, I liked the first Act of War quite a bit. It did come out a couple of years after uh, Generals, and I think I liked it quite a bit more than Generals. I'm not sure why. That was like a decade ago. But hey, a decade later, they have all these, all this money, all this talent. Uh, they have focused, giving them a good big shove to make a nice RTS. And it comes out kind of stale and flat. And I was very, very disappointed. I mean, I liked Ruse too, Rob. I mean, that was like such a great, innovative idea. But I was, we've seen some good RTSs this year. We saw Grey Goo, uh, for example. And I thought, you know, maybe Yugen could do something with the whole Act of War stuff and maybe bring some newer originality to um, this. But it seemed a lot like Act of War about 10 years later. And 
flatter for some reason. I can't quite put my finger on why it feels so flat compared to Act of War. It's been a long time since I played Act of War. I'd have to dig out my disc and play it again, I suppose, unless it's on Steam, which it might be at this point. It is, actually. Uh, Both both Act of War and the the add-on, by the way, are on Steam. Oh, that's good to know. Um, So my expectations were it would be like Act of War, but better, and instead it's like Act of War, but flatter. It, it, and that's and so I I, it, like that. Like I mentioned with the title, it is like a downgrade of names. You go from a full-on yeah. war to just aggression. That kind of feels the same way with the gameplay, doesn't it? Like total. You know, that was a war. This is just like you mentioned, Troy. Like shoving. <laughs> like people being rude. It's, yeah, it's well. Talk a bit about the, about, about the pacing because it's a really that the pacing of this game is really hard to get into. I think a lot has to do with the resource model, and some of it has to do with the way the units get produced, and some of the map design. Um, I know we've—I played some multiplayer with uh, Rob and Fraser, and we can talk a bit about how that went. Thanks for inviting um, me, you yeah. jerks. <laughs> you, you're I, West I Coast, do. Fraser's in Scotland. It, your your love can never be. This is this is <laughs> forbidden love. Capulet, yeah. So yeah, I mean, my expectations were—I mean, old-time RTS play. This is going to be great, but it really ended up being. Again, I just I, I I wonder if I'm too old for it or I have I, something's missing. Uh, Fraser, I, I wanted to turn to you because you actually I think had the most violent reaction of anyone I saw with this game. I punched uh, we... a child after playing it. I was so angry. <laughs> Not even uh, mine. Yeah, we we played a comp stomp uh, with uh, with I think it, it was no, it was, it was a it was a versus game. It was. Uh, with, it was me Troy. and Troy versus you and the AI. And at the end of it, like I was like, all right, everybody, now we kind of know what's going on. Let's play another game. And I just heard crickets. And then you were like, <laughs> I think I'm I'm kind of done with this and maybe never want to play it again. I think I actually <laughs> I was... went back and played more Mad Max, which I'm not really into, but I was like, God, it would be better than this. Okay, so uh... <laughs> what, like, the game made an awful first impression on you, Fraser. It did. What were the turnoffs right out of the gate? It was just, well, I think it didn't help that I did just jump straight in to a multiplayer match with, with you and Troy, and you'd both played it before and I hadn't, so I was kind of like learning on the job, um, which sometimes can be fun, but with all this stuff going on in, in Active Aggression, with the there's like three different resources you have to worry about. Actually, no, there's more, because you have to also worry about electricity. There's all the, it's, it's a very hard-to-read game as well, so I find it hard to follow. I just didn't really know what was going on. I think even if, if Active Aggression was a, a good game, and I want to make clear, I don't think it is, but even if it was, I don't think that would have been the best environment for my first match, which is why um, after I kind of pieced out and I was like, I don't want to play this game with you anymore, Rob, um, I went and, and tried some of the campaign, uh, which was a huge mistake because yeah, the campaign, do that, it's an embarrassment. Yeah. Um, like the, the first chapter of the campaign is you walk a bunch of men up the road. <laughs> this is and the second mission is walking up the road. Yeah. Yeah, and the second mission is you walk up a different road and find a man. And then it sort of opens up, but it's still quite <laughs> crap. So I was like, okay, so I've given it another shot, and I kind of don't like it at all still. But I'm like, you know, I, I love Eugen system so much. Uh, the War Game series is honestly, I think, uh, particularly like Airland Battle because of the campaign, and we were talking about this when we were playing uh, tonight, Rob, and, and, and Red Dragon for the... Um, for the great range of units, they, they, it's just an amazing series. I think possibly my favorite RTS series um, of the last, I don't know, decade maybe? 
Um, I'm really, yeah, I'm a big fan. So I was like, okay, let's give it another shot. And I, I jumped into um, just a comp stomp uh, skirmish. And I, it, it started to click with me. I, I kind of started to maybe see what they were trying to do. But the problem is what they're trying to do is create a traditional RTS by reminding of us of all the terrible things traditional RTSs <laughs> used to do. Um, and ultimately, I was just like, you know, I would much rather play war game. Uh, I'm just sick of having to manage all of this crap when all I want to do is get into like entertaining uh, tactical battles. Um, the, the issue is you start the game and immediately it's like, the only way you can play is by figuring out your build order. And it's just a lot of busy work. You've got to build this and then research that so you can build this, so you can then upgrade these so you can build. And it's just this long list. And if you get then, any of it wrong, you'll hit a oh, bottleneck or you'll be caught so completely quickly. out. Yeah, So quickly. I mean, even against the easy AI, you can get annihilated, not because the AI is doing anything particularly clever, because... I haven't really seen... Like, no, that's not fair. I've seen even the easy AI do things that surprised me. Um, but overall, it, it's, you know, bog standard. It's competent, I guess. Um, but they were annihilating me because they know exactly what to build. And I was kind of just flailing around impotently, that, you know. And it doesn't help that these things that you... Like, the, in the game that we were playing tonight, Rob, I, I, I went the cartel. And to get the cartel's more advanced buildings, you have to research Black Ops, I think it is. But to research Black Ops, you have to build a prison on your barracks. And, and it just doesn't seem to make sense. It's just they're just throwing in obstacles so that it stops you from getting to the fun bits, which is where you're actually fighting. So this is, I think, as we start to tee off on this game a, a little bit, I, I do think... I went through a similar arc where at first I was very turned off and eventually I started getting what it was about and I started to actually appreciate like a lot of the ways this game was designed and I actually began even sort of sort of kind of enjoying playing it. But that first impression I think is really important and active aggression I think in contrast to Eugen's more recent work, active aggression really goes out of your way to confuse the hell out of you. And I think part of it is just a presentation and UI issue because they go for a very old fashioned. Um, so in Ruse, there's almost no interface, right? Very lightweight interface. You could you'd scroll the camera all the way back, see everything at once. Uh, you, your view is almost unobstructed. This is your more traditional RTS control panel and everything. But your, your main panel uh, where you have your different production buildings, tabs, and everything, is covering all these little buttons with all of these little uh, surprisingly detailed drawings on them, uh, these, these little paintings. And each of those is associated with like a different unit or a different upgrade. Uh, and then as you build more buildings, more upgrades are unlocked, and they all appear there. They all have a little thing. And I think the one of the ways this game sort of lost me at the start, and I'm, I'm curious, uh, Troy and Tom, whether you, encounter, you, you had a similar arc with this, Right at the start, I just found I was getting completely bogged down trying to figure out, like, yeah, like Fraser said, how do I get from, like, I want to build tanks. How do I get the tanks? And it wasn't as straightforward as I'm used to in a traditional RTS. How do I expand? Each faction does things differently, 
but not necessarily in like intuitive ways that tell you a great deal about the way that fraction that faction functions. It's just kind of a difference for difference's sake. And then everything has these layered updates that really make it difficult to come to grips with exactly what does what and how you get to your tier two tank and, and up to your tier three like airplane. How do you do that? This game seems to like delight in making those things really surprisingly obscure. Troy, do you want to go? Because I'm going to once again have to be like the the wet blanket. I mean, I, I kind of have to take issue. I understand what you guys are saying because I, there's definitely an accessibility problem here. This is and, – and accessibility, by the way, should be one of the hallmarks of a splashy action RTS. And they don't do that here. Um, however, I, 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 I kind of want to defend – because I, I actually think it's not that bad of a game. Uh, it has one glaring problem, which we'll touch on eventually, I hope um, – but I think what they're doing with the build tree, uh, even with the differences among some of the factions, um, I kind of feel it's pretty standard and, more importantly, competently done stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. If you want to know why you can't build something, the tooltip very clearly tells you. Um, now, what it doesn't tell you is exactly where on that little panel of buttons you might need to find that. And, and I find it hugely instructive that I, I played uh, a two-player game with a friend of mine who played the cartel, and there are three resources here. I call them yellow, blue, and red because that's what they are. Uh, <laughs> my friend playing the cartel, we were just doing a friendly skirmish, like, hey, let's not get too aggressive. Let's just build stuff and see what they do. It's how you learn an RTS, I think. Uh, for the life of him, and this guy knows RTSs, he couldn't figure out how to mine the red stuff for the cartel. Yep. So I was sure he was missing a button, and I was even kind of being dismissive. Like, oh, my God, seriously, you can't figure it out? Okay, fine. I'm going to start a quick skirmish game. I'm going to show you how to do it. Look over my shoulder. Here, let me school you. And, and it was embarrassingly difficult for me to eventually piece together <laughs> the path to unlock the red resource. Um, but that again, said – that oh, even even that is mm -hmm. different from the other factions for no yes, damn absolutely. good reason. You have to upgrade each harvesting site for the red resource. Now every other faction, no, 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 no. Only the harvesting site add a red resource. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Every other faction, you push a button that says, "Okay, now you can harvest the red resource." Right, right. Fine. Okay, so that's how this works. You you tech up to the point where you can get that resource. Except for the cartel, where right. now every other faction has taught you this is how you eventually get to those high tech units. Cartel is like, no, here it's going to be an upgrade to the refinery itself. And Why? here's like. And here's where I won't defend the game, by the way, because I agree with you, and this is, I think, the game's main problem. Uh, another splashy, another requirement for a splashy action RTS isn't just accessibility. More important than accessibility, it needs personality. And these factions, to me, have no personality. Because like you said, Rob, everybody has a different way to unlock that red resource, but I see no rationale. I see no theming there. And you put it perfectly, Rob, when you said difference for difference's sake. They just do it, hey, let's give everybody the same tools and force them to jump through different hoops to get there. Um, and if that's themed correctly, like, you know, StarCraft is the perfect example with the differences among the Zergs, the Protoss, and the Terrans. Uh, that stuff is amazing. Um, but here, without any personality, without any sort of theming hook for why the cartel has to do it that way, I, I, it just falls flat for me. It's entirely absent logic. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense why... The, the cartel, and I don't really know 
who the cartel are. I don't know what their deal is. They're the bad I guys. Just ga- I just gave up on the campaign, really. Right. Are they the Mexicans? I, I think there were oh Mexicans in the campaign. No, there's Why the super racist Mexican people, character. <laughs> no, like, there's there's the super racist Mexican character. He's like a yeah. he's like their their private military contractor, he's like, oh, and he says to you, "I swear to God," he's like, "You tell him to go take prisoners because that's another. We'll get to that. It's a resource in this game. Right. Just roll with it for now." But <laughs> you send this guy to go collect prisoners, and he basically goes, "I'm not used to taking prisoners." <laughs> and like, it's like Speedy Gonzalez. Oh it's, my, it's yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, and, that's not that's that's not great. That's not. And when you hear that character say it exactly that line like twenty times over the course of a game, it starts <laughs> to get pretty uncomfortable if you're if you're Mexican. Do you guys uh, not remember the kerfuffle about the Chinese and Command and Conquer generals? Because I I personally don't mind it, but some people got very offended at the exaggerated Chinese accents. For you know, there's a whole Chinese faction in generals. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think exaggerated accents can be. A bit troublesome because usually they they are associated with like racist stereotypes and I think it's easy. I think you're almost better off going off like a native language approach. But I, the reason I brought up the the cartel or I don't know if they're Mexican or whatever, but was that I I don't understand the logic of building certain things or, or researching certain things to get other things because so f- to get like tank and uh, helicopters and all of these other things that you really should be getting off the bat. I mean, when you build the cartel vehicle bay, it's got a helipad on it. Why would you have a helipad and not the ability to build helicopters? Well, yeah, but and I mean, you, come on, teching up, but teching up is yeah. standard RTS Yeah, yeah, stuff. no, I, I understand that. But what I'm saying is to, to get that, you have to build a prison add-on to the barracks. Yeah, that's weird. Like a prison add-on to the barracks to unlock a research thing, which then unlocks things in my vehicle bay. It's that it's it just even if there's the tooltip there, there's this massive leap in logic, and it just becomes annoying. It feels like I'm jumping through hoops, and they're just they're they're there just to slow down gameplay, so I can't just build the things I want to build. So Fraser, and I get that you need. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, I think one of the things that, that might – like I'm guessing, and I don't know for sure because I, I don't know the different factions very well. I've played all of them, but I couldn't tell you much about them because I don't think they have much personality. But one of the things I suspect um, is that very much like in StarCraft, some of the factions are more quote-unquote advanced or maybe more mm. complex than others. Uh, the U.S. is probably the most accessible because the theming there is that you – you have three tiers of upgrades. You start at DEFCON 1, you pay to go to DEFCON 2 and get the more slightly advanced military stuff, but to get the, like, Abrams and the super badass helicopters and planes, you have to go to DEFCON 3. So I think the U.S. is sort of like the vanilla human race, and you might have been stymied because maybe their intent, and it's not excusing, and I'm not dismissing your complaint or excusing what they're doing, but I suspect their intent was to make the cartel one of the more like tricky races to play. I don't know. Right. I mean, this is a problem that kind of, I felt it was with the Chimera as well, was this kind of lack of, of logic. Uh, it, but I mean, it was just that, that today I, I just played the cartel with Rob and that was really bugging right. me. And there's nothing in the game to tell you that, by the way. If that's their intent, it's, hey, play yeah. the vanilla US. I mean, that, that and I, maybe that's what the campaign is supposed to do, but I can't be bothered with that. No, the campaign thing. starts you with Chimera, but actually, no, the US are not nearly as vanilla, I think, as, as you're giving them credit for. And this is, the, this is the interesting thing. When I see conversations happening about this game, by the way, there's a lot of violent disagreement about what these factions are actually <laughs> supposed to do, uh, which I think goes to some of the issues we're, we're coming to with theme here. Because I thought the Chimera were the bad guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> they sound like they should be, but no, it turns out they're just an armed UN, unless they do a heel turn. Maybe they do. But the U.S. are interesting because, yeah, they actually do behave maybe a little more uh, traditionally in the way they sort of tech up and, and unlock new things. But the U.S. also, I found, had probably the most susceptible army to hard counters of anyone in the game. And mind you, the game itself is pretty rock, paper, scissors. It like It's very much a game where, like, sort of like Wargame, you know, a helicopter runs into a couple guys with Stinger missile launchers. That helicopter's probably screwed. That's, that's kind of the nature of this game. But the U.S. sort of seemed like every single thing is really good at one specific role. But if it ever is outside of its lane, it's in deep, deep trouble. So even like the Abrams, which is sort of your your, your big heavy tank, should, you know, it seems like a, a tank rush to be an easy enough thing to do. Even the Abrams, I found, wasn't that effective as a general purpose like Bruiser. It was, it, you know, it was good for clearing out light enemy armor. But it was so very susceptible to anti-tank missiles, all that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit like Wargame where, where you have these, these, these hard counters. And I found the U.S. more than any other faction always gave you these units that, uh, you know, were, were really single purpose. And so you really had to be like reading the enemy army composition really carefully and making sure that you were adjusting your composition appropriately uh, because otherwise U.S. armies were just getting torn up, which was not a problem I had nearly as much with the Chimera and the, uh, and the cartel. So I, and, 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 that, and that's really problematic with the field of vision they give you. And if you have to pick and choose what you're fighting against and know your enemy, your options seem to be satellite drone cam with silhouettes or, you know, up some guy's navel and hope you can see them when they're coming. Uh, there's, it's so hard to get a good bead on what's coming after you. I kind of like the, the drone cam. It's got a nice view. It's stylish. But I need, like, something in between there so I can anticipate what's coming. Um, and the field of vision is, I mean, it's a, it's a technical issue, but it's. I think it's for people for playing the U.S., which is such a hard RPS, you know, strong but fragile uh, faction, knowing what you're coming up against is so, so important. Um, and I found that really hard to work with for the longest time. Uh, I think that was the hardest thing to adjust to, besides the weird, e the, the weird economy of primary colors. I don't think the art style helped me in this regard either. And this <laughs> no, was, it was, it was, not. it was realistic. It was like, it, it was, it, you can tell, like, it's a cousin of uh, the war game series. Like, all these units, a lot of them are real world or very closely inspired by real world. But the problem you run into there is, uh, and, I, and I brought this example up in my review, the U.S., all their early vehicles are based on the striker chassis, which is a realistic nod. Like, the striker is sort of a general purpose, like, combat chassis that the U.S. Army developed. And the whole point is you put different things on it, and it has different missions. Great. But here's how that looks on a map. It looks like a mob of almost identical armored personnel carriers. It reads as an armored, armored personnel carrier when you're looking at, looking at it from high above. And so, like... You know, Tom, you brought up things need personality. I'm not so sure. I'm not necessarily sure things need like clear personality so much as I just want them to be clearly, clearly readable. I want them to like sort of tell tell me a little bit about themselves. I want to be able to judge those books by those covers. You know what I mean? I would actually argue that that's one of the. Uh, and again, I I can't. I, I mean, this is me second guessing their intent. But I would argue, even from just a gameplay perspective, that's one of the advantages of the U.S is that their basic level 
of vehicles is varying strikers. Uh, and that therefore, when you're playing against the U.S., it's not as easy to specifically counter what they're doing. When you have the Camara or the cartel coming at you, you'll eventually learn to recognize, you know, that's an anti-vehicle vehicle, that's an anti-infantry vehicle, that's a mortar, that's an anti-air vehicle. I think the U.S., and maybe I'm just uh, being charitable here, but I think that's part of their design mandate is make a variety of different strikers and – the enemy can't quite tell what it's got coming at him. Uh, I kind of like that about the, that middle tier of U.S. units. I think you might be giving Eugen a bit too much credit there. I mean, I get well, none of the other factions are like sense, that, though, Fraser. But... Like, all the other factions have clearly differentiated um, types. I mean, clearly in within the constraints of the art style, but they have clearly mm. distinct types of units that do specific types of things that have roles. They do all look quite similar, though. I mean, maybe I just have recently picked up a case of tank blindness, no, and they the, all just look, they, the cartel's so anti-air tank looks more like a tank than their actual tier one tank. See, you guys, it's got a turning radar on it. Like it, it's got that little radar. But then, like, a I huge, don't... but then a huge gun barrel, and like, it, like again, right, from... but I, I think they're trying to do. Uh, I, I, you know, it's kind of it's getting to what Troy's talking about. By the way, this is why cameras are in close is because the developers have to deal with how do we make something recognizable but still give people situational awareness on the battle. And you could argue they haven't succeeded but i can clearly see their attempts to make the other units look distinct and to intentionally and to not do that with the u.s um and that's okay, but, they, they, but they, they look really distinct up close which is a viewpoint which isn't very helpful for you when they're coming at you really really fast right and and that troy by the way i would argue is one of the things like and this drives me bad because i'm terrible at it but i think uh, a lot of people who are really hardcore into rts's would say you know, learn to look at the mini map, noob. <laughs> like, but, but I'm with you 100. So unhelpful in this, that does but the it, it shows little shows you, squares. Shows you that, yeah, right, right, no shows you, but right, right. You can't when you talk about wanting to see where an attack is coming from. Like, that's what the mini right. map supposedly helps you with. I mean, you guys are making me defend a game I kind of don't want to defend. Uh, so I should <laughs> probably back up because it's going to sound like, hey, I'm really into this. Um, right, but I mean, because I recognize you like the room two. Three MA, I think, <laughs> with with Tom being me. Well, uh, you know, the thing is, like, I think there is a tendency because a lot of these things we're, we're we're digging into, I think, are almost like details of like how it presents itself. But I think the sum effect makes this a much more disorienting game. It actually does obscure the underlying quality of the game, uh, and it made me like like this is a game I had to dig my way into. More than I've had to from with recent Eugen games, and more than I'm used to with a lot of like RTSs I, I I've enjoyed of late, and so like there were there were a lot of like barriers I feel like put up between me the newcomer to active aggression and you know ultimate comprehension. But Tom, I wanted to because then I, I think you you must mean something different than 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 I do. You said you want these these armies to have personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I just I, I thought they did have personality, but I thought like their on on the battlefield appearance was a bit obscure. I'm curious why you felt these armies sort of lacked in character. Sure, uh, like uh, so the touchstone for me here, and this is a little unfair because this is one of the great all time RTSs, is Command and Conquer Generals, um, where every unit has a very distinctive place in a faction other than the basic rock, paper, scissors. Um, Like I think, for instance, of those toxin tractors that one of the terrorist factions get, and I keep calling them terrorists. I know they had a different name. Uh, But uh, they're they're uniquely useful against infantry in a way that just a gun 
that's like an anti-infantry gun uh, in, a, in a very different way. Um, you know, the way that one of the factions was based on stealth, the way that there was a, an Air Force faction, uh, the U.S. laser tanks, for instance, the way those worked, where the more of them you had, the more powerful their beams would be. Um, like that was personality expressed through these gameplay features where each unit did something very specific that no other unit did. Um, and I don't feel there's – and the same with the factions, by the way. That absolutely works at the faction level, and it trickles down to the unit level. Uh, and I don't feel there's any of that in uh, active aggression where the factions are different. You mentioned before differences for differences' sake. You get the same stuff, but you have to go in different – down different paths to get to that stuff to make it feel different. Um, so I, I don't feel that – the individual units, like none of them stood out for me. Uh, in my review, there was one that I kind of came to appreciate uh, as being distinct from everything else and having a unique role. Um, and I feel like every unit should be special like this one little guy that I remember. Um, there's something Are called, you talking you guys about know? the wee drone? The, the Metal wee... Storm, yeah. yeah like and, the, and the, just... the, the tiny slow ones that just do insane damage up close. Yeah, exactly. And there's stealth, yeah. so they can get close, but if there's a stealth detector um, and they get a bonus, I mean, all units get a bonus for attacking out of stealth, but they, they come up and they just have that short, sustained burst of fire. But there's that whole trick of getting them close enough to actually attack. Um, They're a lot of fun to play with. Yeah, I, and, I actually, and I can't, These are the ones that stood out for me as well. It, well, is there anything else like that, Fraser, for you? Because I would be hard-pressed to... I mean, I, I kind of came to know some of the units and factions, but nobody, for me, felt like they had that kind of gameplay expressiveness. Yeah, not not really. I, I mean, a lot of them, when I was using them, I was like, well, these, you know, these units are doing well. Keep up the good work. But nothing <laughs> kind of stuck in my memory other than those, those little guys. That ju- um, because the amount, like... Using them made me feel like I was actually in control of some interesting. Well, there's a great sense of power when they work, it. isn't there? Because they do so oh, much yeah. damage. Yeah. And you can, if you can get them in a base, if there's no like stealth detection, you just get them in the base. That's that base gone. It's it's wonderful. It, yeah, uh, really empowering. But I cannot think of anything else. Like it's Troy not and, like there and, aren't uh, other units that are effective. Just they're not memorable. Yeah. Did anything I, I, stand I, out I, for I, you, I, Rob or Troy? I, I, I like Chimera's super cannon. But most of oh, well, super weapons, with absolutely, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, their use of super weapons, those are each distinct and they're pretty clear. Mm. Uh, but as far as the general unit design, no. I mean, they're all, I think part of it is they're trying, they're kind of handicapped by their love of real-world type stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, action RTSs aren't about fun real-world type stuff. They can be, but you've got to find some way to make, the, make it quirky, make it interesting, and make the factions, you know, stand out more than... You know, old-timey Age of Empires, well, this guy's got a plus one to his arrow uh, type stuff, which is a lot of what the unit design comes down to. The There are different types, people have different types of anti-tank, but you just see them as, oh, this is the anti-tank guy. And that's pretty much it. One of the... Yeah, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. Sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I definitely started to feel the faction differences a little more. I did. There were some units I started to really enjoy. I think the... Um, like just little differences in approach, like the fact that the cartel deploys Super Hinds as their basic attack helicopter, but it's also 
a heavy infantry transport. And so the Super Hind is like this flying tank, which, again, that's kind of what the Hind's role is in the real world. But it, it does give them this different identity where the cartel can send out their infantry aboard these, like, death choppers, unload. Now you've got some really dangerous infantry because the cartel have some some really crack troops. And then they're covered by these 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 helicopters that unlike your um attack helicopters from uh like the u.s which are very much like anti-tank guided missile uh type helicopters uh unlike the um sort of the the napalm striking attack helicopters for for chimera which are more like area denial uh like this is a case where the like the the super hind and its attendant infantry become like this uh, it, it provides this umbrella cover that right. I think gave them a different a different sort of character. Uh, I love their artillery. Uh, Can so, I real quick back up because I want to talk about that helicopter, yeah. Rob? Because I, I think that helicopter is super popular online. Like I, I think the current meta maybe, and I, I've only, I haven't played a lot of online multiplayer. Yeah. But a lot of what I've seen is spamming those super hinds. Uh, but those super hinds kind of get to the point that I'm making in that you mentioned the napalm from the Camaro units. The Super Hinds have a napalm upgrade. They can drop napalm. Mm. And, and then furthermore, yes. the U.S. has the Osprey, which is pretty much the same as the Hind. It's a heavy infantry transport that can develop an anti-infantry gun as well. Um, so, yeah, the Hinds are cool, but everybody gets to play with that same kind of thing, I feel like. like oh, I'm, so, only, I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah, so, so that's kind of like – that's what I'm talking about as far as personality. If everybody can do the same things, no faction has personality, and it robs units of their, of their sense of identity, I feel. Yeah, so this is something I brought up in my review, uh, and I think it is important because in addition to the fact that things have to be visually distinct, things also have distinctive roles. When you see a thing appear on a battlefield, you have to have a rough idea what that thing means. And I don't mean to overuse like StarCraft as, as an example, but StarCraft does do some things that are very, very good. StarCraft II. Uh, and so like when you see the, the Thor mech uh, come out into the battlefield, it's this big, meaty, like walking mech that engages ground and air. But it's also a walking flak cannon, and you learn very early that it's very effective at engaging clouds of aerial units, and it has an anti-air mode where it becomes even better at doing all of that. So when you see a Thor, though, it's always basically doing the same thing. It might have different like upgrades on it, but a Thor is a Thor is a Thor. In this game, not only do upgrades end up watering down the differences between factions' units, but they also completely change what those units are good against and what they are weak against. So you will see things where, like, early in the game, tanks are really weak against anti-tank missiles. Okay, that makes sense. Great. So I should always recon ahead and make sure that I'm, I, I'm, I'm ready to, ready to uh, spot those, those anti-tank missiles. Wait. Now there's an upgrade that gives your tanks like this is this is an upgrade that every faction has various versions of now there's a point defense upgrade where like for whatever reason now your tanks are shooting down incoming missiles um and they're not really vulnerable to them anymore unless they just get overwhelmed or the tanks themselves get anti-tank missiles so now they become even better tank killers uh but not in sort of the the beefy like meat shieldy way, but they become like one hit shot, one one hit kill type units, and that begins to water down. Like suddenly, what that unit appearing on the battlefield means has completely changed. I don't, but but looking at it there on the field, 
I don't know that. I, I, I can't tell that. And I think that's, I, I think that is another thing that sort of bedevils like understanding and figuring out how a game works because you have units whose roles are pretty drastically revised. Their weaknesses and strengths are pretty drastically revised via this upgrade train. And, and I'm guessing Eugen did that because they feel pressure to have this sense of multiplayer balance. Because I know they've been tinkering and tuning with the War Game series for so long. Like, they'll release these patches that kind of rejigger the balance. And I think they do that in response to pressure from their multiplayer community. So I can just sort of see them imagining these units in active aggression, but wanting to make sure that everything can kind of be equal and counter any given strategy. And, uh, like, I just wonder, is this what uh, an aggressive multiplayer community does to a design? I don't, I don't know. Well, based on what I see every time I log in to the Eugen chat, uh, I wouldn't. I'm not sure. I'd. I'm not sure. I'd take too many. Too many pieces of advice uh, from from that community. Uh, but yeah, that that is a good point. I, I I do see like the the chat is always full of like balance complaints. Oh, yeah. this is unfair. That's unfair. And there are a lot of things in a realistic type RTS. There are a lot of things that will feel unfair. Like it kind of sucks. And Wargame gets, I think probably gets away with it more because Wargame is a war game. This is how it should work. But here, one of your precious tanks just got lit up by a guy with an anti tank missile that you didn't see. And it's just dead before you can do anything. That can feel a little frustrating. The fact that there's so many really strong, like, um, beyond line of sight weapons, like long range artillery and such, that can just, like, devastate your units. That can feel, again, a little frustrating when it's happening. Uh, so I, I, can, I can definitely understand maybe why there would be a push to be like, well, there should be something that allows me to neutralize incoming artillery. So give me a point defense cannon. And, you know, they do that, by the way, with super weapons. Like that was one of the innovations that Eugen did with Act of War. In Command and Conquer Generals, if somebody gets a super weapon, you can't do anything about it. You just got to wait until they hit you with it. Uh, and one of the, the cool things at the time I thought it was cool, and I actually do kind of appreciate this, uh, is there are counters for super weapons. You know, there are defenses now. So obviously at Eugen, they kind of feel, you know, they don't want a game where somebody's going to build a super weapon and you're just completely vulnerable to it. You know, they don't want a game where you decided to build 50 tanks and now here he comes with helicopters and you've got no anti-air. You know, put those little tusk kits on your tanks and now they'll shoot down helicopters. Uh, but really, you should seems- have just not built 50 tanks. <laughs> it, it just seems like they're pandering to people who yeah. don't know how to play. I mean, I don't want to be rude to people who, who want to build 50 tanks. Tanks are brilliant, but um, don't build 50 of them and then nothing else. Um, unless you know that your opponent has no way to counter your tanks. I mean, if you're playing cleverly, that might work. But well, that in is... general, you should have a right. bit of you know variety. It, right. It's it's like it shouldn't be like going. Oh well, some people are are stupid, so let's um, make sure that they can deal with all of the potential problems that might arise from their poor planning. Well, but here's um, what happens in a multiplayer game, Fraser, is that I build 50 tanks because I see that the other guy isn't building yeah. anti-vehicle things. So yeah, then the other course. guy sees my tanks and he builds helicopters. So now I upgrade my tanks. Like they're, they're giving me kind of an option to either upgrade my tanks or build anti-air units. Uh, and, and I kind of – I understand why like a multiplayer community wants to do that. But I'm with you. Just don't build 50 tanks. You know, if somebody wants to do this kind of aberrant strategy and try to break the system by by pushing one particular element of it as far as it can go, you know, let that person lose. Let that person blow the game. Uh, 
so but but here but here's the thing there's a lot of things to bag on with this game but once i got past a lot of these these early issues with well early they they comprised probably <laughs> half my time with the game uh sort of coming to grips with how the different factions work and what i'm supposed to be doing and how to balance that really uh sort of creaky economy but once i did that I did kind of start to enjoy myself. Like I figured out what it was going for a little more. It was a little more of a tactical, realistic RTS. There's a lot of like, you know, street fighting is really important. Getting your infantry to like lock down crossroads and controlling space that way and flying like co- close air, close air support and all these things. It began to click for me. And I got to say, like, there were a lot of like, there were a lot of times I found myself having a great deal of fun with this game because it does deliver on the spectacle. Like once you've got like the clouds of artillery just dropping mixed rounds on formations of infantry and tanks and like helicopters are streaking overhead and then a then then a Valkyrie heavy bomber comes flying in and just like lights an entire column of the map on fire. That stuff is is pretty cool to look at, and I also was enjoying sort of pushing these units around and and like mixing up with these these really uh, powerful and deadly semi realistic military units. Like there there was a there was an RTS that I I was finding myself enjoying underneath all the initial uh, all the initial discouragement. Yeah, I kind of feel like I've been. Really, I've probably been the most hostile to the game this evening. Um, sorry, game, but uh, I, I do th- I do agree that there are times where it kind of it does actually feel a little bit fun when you aren't having to worry about the three or four different resources and you have managed to figure out the build order and you just got control of a lovely army. And you're clashing, you're actually fighting, you are putting your units in, in smart places, locking down areas, bringing in air support. It, it feels like the RTS that I kind of hoped that it would be. But to get to that point where you don't have to worry about the busy work and the faffing around, it takes just too long. Um, like I, I don't think after this podcast I will have any motivation to go back to it. In fact, I think I would have stopped playing earlier, but um, I, you know, I kept playing so I would have more things to, to talk about. Um, but I just, I, I don't see the point when there are actually quite a few good RTSs out there, and indeed much better ones from Ugen as well. Um, if I want to play a good Ugen RTS, and I'll just go and play, I mean, it's more wargamey, but I'll just go and play Red Dragon or Airland Battle or something like that, um, where it just makes more sense to me and I kind of just get into the thick of it. I'm not just mucking around for 20 minutes trying to sort everything out and find annoying little resources of blue and gold things. That's the crux of the matter for me, Fraser, is uh, I'm actually with Rob 100% on this idea that, uh, and I'm going to do air quotes here, I don't know if you can see it, but with this idea <laughs> that it is a fun game. Because I certainly have fun with it as well. And I think it's a competent, and I would say, mostly very well executed RTS. Um, there is that learning curve. It's not as accessible as a game, the game it's trying to be, I feel, should be. Um, but I, I think there's a really solid game here. Uh, my problem, and, and this is where I'm with you 100%, Fraser, uh, why would I play this rather than one of Eugen's other games, their, Warland, uh, their uh, uh, war game series? Or more importantly, why not just go back and play Command and Conquer Generals? 
because mm. it's sold. You can get it on Origin right now. It runs on modern operating systems. It holds up. I haven't. I, I, there has never been a year of my life that's gone by where I didn't at some point in that year boot up Command and Conquer Generals. Um, and if this game can't answer that question, if I if I'm sitting here and sure having fun and and I'm I enjoy the, I love the resource system by the way. Uh, I, I love that they keep the road system from Ruse and and the War Game series. Um, and I kind of even enjoy having to muck my way and figure out through the tech trees and figure this stuff out um, as in a kind of a puzzle sense. Uh, but even even if I'm enjoying those things, the game has to answer for me the question, why are you playing me instead of Command and Conquer Generals? And and there's no answer for that here. Uh, you know, I don't care enough about the units. That one little Metal Storm guy, I don't care enough about him to to want to keep playing this. But I do care about all the cool units that you have in Command and Conquer Generals. Uh, the only reason I think to really play this is is because I guess the graphics look better. So if you care about that sort of thing, yeah, that's that's a good argument to play Active Aggression instead. Um, but for all these shiny graphics, they don't make the game any more readable. In fact, they make it more difficult to read than, I would say, generals. Uh, I find it very challenging to actually figure out what's going on because of the clutter. And it's not something I had a problem with, uh, with Wargame because they had a much better map, much better zoom, icons just like you actually felt like a general rather than some dude in a drone i think it's really i think it's really the icons the fact that war game is always there to be like oh this is the anti-tank missile team right right. and like yeah yeah, that's like you know that's the thing you never actually see the the infantry like in a lot of ways the the war game like map and graphics if you'd had to rely on actually seeing things Mm -hmm. it would have been terrible that game would have been a complete disaster but they were smart enough to figure this out and they were like look See those trees over there? There's some guys in them with some missile launchers and some armored personnel <laughs> carriers. So you should probably do something about that. And it's like, thanks, game. I'll I'll take that under advisement. Uh, and I get whereas- that they're trying to make it more surprising in in uh, in active aggression. They're not wanting to give you all of this information immediately, and you're going to have to actually get stuck in there to figure out what you're fighting and that's completely fine but just when you're actually looking at it it's and you're actually staring at those bloody units it's still really frustrating trying to figure out what's going on um and i mean i'm I'm getting better at it now but it feels like just too much of a slog yeah another thing i wanted to bring up and i had a question for you tom because i i feel like you brought it up a little bit in your in your review uh, because of the way the, the maps are really expansive and you're constantly battling over territory and a lot of the battles in this game tend to turn into the sort of battles where you're constantly feeding in reinforcements and, until you eventually like rest control of an area. And I find that very, uh, it's, it's cool to watch. They're fun battles and everything. But the attrition is very high in this game. But yeah. resources on the map are finite. Yeah. And I have had more than a few games, inter-endgame situations, where the map is effectively mined out of a key resource or two. And you know what you were supposed to have been doing in those games, Rob? um, Investing wisely and building (laughs) a retirement plan for my army. And the retirement plan for your army is called Prisoners of War. Uh, Troubling, so they're, they're, but tell me more. Well, there's some buildings, by the way. I think all the factions have one that give you a resource trickle. Uh, unfortunately, one of the well, not unfortunately, but one of the things they intentionally did is you can't translate unit, like you can't trade resources. Um, you know, a game like Age of Empires, 
you, you build a trading market and if you need more wood, you just uh, buy it with gold. If you need more food, you buy it with gold. If you need gold, you sell your wood, whatever. Um, here, that balance is not interchangeable. Uh, but what you can do, and I think what they expect you to do, given that resources are finite and given that you're probably grabbing the resources close to you early in the game, so as the game goes on, you're going to need to control more and more territory to grab the resources. Uh, you kind of They want you to plan ahead and build these buildings that give you a resource trickle. And they want you to do what I can completely understand some people dismissing as annoying, but what they want you to do is take prisoners of war. And, and furthermore, deprive your opponent of, of your prisoners of war. You know, highlight your little guys. Just double-click on one of them when you're zoomed out, hit the G key, and they'll slowly walk back to base. Alternatively, you can really micro it and pick them up and carry them back with a helicopter or a Humvee or whatever. Um, but those little dead guys, who uh, injured guys who you see on the map, uh, they are one of, you know, Fraser mentioned power. There's the three resources, there's power, and then there's prisoners of war. And prisoners of war specifically for the late game when you have basically uh, leached the map dry. But it, yeah. at that, like when you're you're talking about prisoners of war, but I, I might be wrong here, but they only give you cash or whatever that no. currency is. Do they? You can convert they them. Yeah, you, you can, can sell right, them. You, so you, you can, can actually turn them into. Prizes. They're like. They're oh like right, coupons. when you take them back. Yes, right. Okay. No. Does it work the same for every faction? Because I know with the cartel, you don't so much sell your prisoners as you click the button and it converts the building to now every tick of the clock is generating 10 aluminum or something like that. I think, uh, yeah, like one of them you outright sell the prisoner. I think the U.S. Army like ransoms the prisoner or whatever for like a tidy sum of a thousand aluminum. Um, so, yeah, yeah, once again. And I would argue differences for differences sake, like you observed before, Rob, uh, they all work slightly differently. Um, and, and maybe one of them actually only gets rare earth from their prisoners. I could be wrong about that. Uh, um, I don't I'm not sure. I, I know that uh, the cartel have an interesting building, the underground marketplace, which allows. See, this is OK. The cartel has some odd things because they're the mercenary like they're the money guys. Mm -hmm. uh, you can take out life insurance. On I your love infantry. that. Actually, yeah. Yeah. yeah you get kidding. money back for every mercenary <laughs> killed. It's actually really cool. It completely changes the efficiency of those units. Um, I find that very helpful because I lose a lot of infantry. <laughs> well, yeah, basically, like in, in, infantry in my armies have, like have one job, and it's like go sit in this building until you're eventually overrun and killed. Well, I think that's uh, infantry in, in every battle is really. I mean, they can actually be really strong. I mean, they can they can take out quite tough vehicles quite quickly. But I think that they go they get annihilated so quickly that you really have to put them in buildings. Yeah. Uh, but the, the the cartel also have the underground marketplace, which just is a building that generates uh, rare earth. Um, and I'm not sure other factions really have an equivalent of that uh, because I think I think the 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 cartel's entire identity is like toward the end they just have the ability to sort of outspend and and get resources uh, from from sources other other uh, factions can't. But yeah, the the decision that prisoners be kind of the um the bedrock of the late game economy is, is an interesting choice. I'm not sure I'm in love with it because it does like, it's a, it's a, that is a form of economy that requires a lot of micromanagement uh, and a lot of places to put those guys. And I found that a little bit like it was, a, it's, I guess it's a godsend for that late game situation where you just need a couple more units to maybe make your last push. But overall it, it, it definitely is kind of a finicky way to have the late game play out.
I feel I that resources feel... in general are finicky because you've got to, even if you're, you're looking for these resource nodes on the map, you need to use a recon vehicle to do it because apparently even though they're right there on the surface and they're bloody glowing multicolored crap into the uh, on, on the screen nobody but a recon unit can actually see them so you've got to constantly have this recon unit which is this tiny little thing impossible to see and you've constantly got to be moving it around the map and the maps are, are can be stupidly large Pretty sure, um, is that true only recon units can yeah. see resources yeah, yeah. Yeah, I find that out the hard way when I saw a node and it only had like two of the resource node bits. So I built on it and then a resource, uh, a recon unit moved up and revealed the other two. And I well, had then to how then do we see resource units and... on enemy uh, refineries then? Because I, see, I your... see all the enemy refinery resource units. That would be your because your recon unit has gone through there. It, I mean, because... That's what's that's what's happened with me. I'll drive around and I'll miss stuff, and then the, I'll, but I'll use the recon unit, and suddenly suddenly I can see it. Oh, I'm pretty well. Okay, I mean, I, yeah, I'm wondering actually, can you just see it if it gets built on? Maybe like it might. Maybe... Yeah, no, that that's what it okay. is. Yeah, if it's already got an actual refinery on it, then you can see it. Okay, um, and then you can take it over and just build or like destroy it and then build over that bit. Um, but if it's if it's untouched in the wilderness, then you need a recon uh, vehicle. And that just I find so frustrating because their their line of sight's not incredibly huge or their field view's not very you know, I mean, it's bigger than a lot of other vehicles. But you just have to spam click the map so yeah, they go. Yeah, but you've yeah. got like a thousand other things to deal with. Yeah. Um, Isn't that kind just... of, the, that's that's how Age of Empires has always worked. Like you just have a scout unit, it, it Resonations for instance. You have that early scout unit and your early busy work is just clicking what areas he's going to explore. Yeah, um, but that scout unit's looking for enemies, which I completely understand. Whereas this, you're not actually using it necessarily just to look, to look for enemies, because you can actually use another vehicle that can stand up to some um, uh, some enemy attacks to actually... It's better to use a, a, um, an actual attack vehicle, maybe like a helicopter or something, to scout enemy positions than a recon vehicle, which will get demolished immediately if it gets spotted. Um, I'm talking specifically about trying to find those resources. Right. Um and like the the last battle that me and Rob played, he couldn't find like oil for love nor money, um, and he was dealing with an all-out assault from the enemy, so he, he couldn't spend time moving around his recon vehicle to try and find the stuff that he needed because he was under attack. Um, it's well, just, also the resource seems, seems like... to the resourcing seems to follow semi-random seeding, uh, so I definitely like I it feels like on different maps. The resources will move around a little bit, and sometimes I they'll have concentrations of them in different that. places. I've noticed that they actually tend to be the same place, so I think you could probably learn. I might mm. be wrong. I might have just been lucky. And so, so I guess it is about learning those maps. Um, but then that makes your early games just really shit. And the, the thing that took me a while to rouse the refineries is... Yeah, they collect the resources, but actually it's this little bulldozer right. and they have to drive them to a storage area, mm -hmm. which is, you know, very, very, very old school RTS design. Picks and them sometimes they'll be in a queue at your base trying to Yeah, and they move unload. really, really soon. you got to put those things in the right place. Oh, you can't build <laughs> there. It's not close to anything. This is the slow bulldozers or dump trucks or whatever carrying the resource the cartel and, get helicopters and that's actually. awesome the well, helicopters are a huge benefit because they, they break you free of the the map design with the roads 
That, yeah. That's yeah. one of the things I love about – I mean, peon management is is generally like people look down their nose at it in a lot of RTSs, but it really does add a lot. And and this was huge in Ruse, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. The roads are, uh, you know, they're infrastructure. They're, they're, they're supply arteries in, mm-hmm. in uh, active aggression. Uh, and that's one of the things I like about the resource model is if you can scout out where the guy is getting his aluminum, you can cut it off. You know, you just find the road where his little trucks are driving. You park a couple of units there, uh, and suddenly he's going to have no more trucks. He's going to have to build more. It's going to force him to pay attention to that instead of something else. Um, and part of the learning curve uh, is figuring out how many transporters you want per refinery based on its distance from a drop-off point. Like, there's this kind of yeah. Sim City-ish element there, yeah. which, you know, it can be a hassle, but I think it's part of the learning curve. And uh, where do you put the uh, resource collection points? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Do you make a whole new base up there? Uh, do you just let your guys do that long journey? Do you try to defend it with some sort of emplacement or units? Um, I, I like those kind of uh, questions that you have to ask yourself in active aggression. Uh, and I would argue that's one of the few selling points it has over Command and Conquer Generals, where it's just I a matter of... That that- once you kind of get used to it, because it is a little sure, bit unusual, sure. um, that can actually be quite rewarding when you kind of when you f- see where the the if is if the enemy is using ground units to uh, to kind of send their resources back to base, and then you just cut off their supply. It feels really empowering, yeah. um, but it 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 can be a lot of, and I I've been saying this a lot. It can be a lot of faff when you you're when you're the one trying to deal with these kind of uh, this resource network because there it's just one of a hundred things that you're having to micromanage um and i do think that because there's so many of them they do get in the way of the actual warfare fraser um, do you like uh, age of empires 3 for instance like does um, that game work I, for you I kind of i i prefer 2 uh, i i never really got into 3 i think by the time three had come out, I'd maybe bounced off Age of Empires a little bit. But, but um, I, I don't have I'm... like a, I don't have a particular problem with it. So because that, um... that, that's one of the things that it reminds me of is that these you know Age of Empires three has I guess five resources, uh, mm-hmm. and, and some of them have stone. Will have six like Age of Mythology, I guess. Uh, like this is kind of a, a not a lost art, but it's fallen out of favor. This idea yeah. of more complex. Uh, resource models uh see i think that there's a good reason why i think because ultimately these sorts of uh wartime strategy games the focus should be the battles i think i mean i'm I, other people actually well, really love the yeah. base building and the resource gathering i understand for me though and this is something i really realized when i started getting into the the war game series right. was that's what i like the most and, and the um, war game series has, has done a great job of removing the concept of macro from an rts because yeah. traditionally an rts is micro and macro and you have yeah. to manage both or you will lose and the dirty little secret of most rts is is that ultimately it comes down not to fighting, but to your economy. Uh, that macro ultimately wins games over micro. Uh, you know, so with so, war game, it's about your loadout, really. It's like the the, the kind of the units that you have brought into this right, battle that you've in a way, prepared. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I um, find that really compelling. But I realize that other people want um, want these kind of resources and things like that. And I'm fine with them. I, I enjoy... Uh, I, I, a big fan of of generals, really big fan of generals, and I like, I, you know, I like a lot of games where where you do have to worry about resources. Mm-hmm. But I just think that there's so much in in active aggression, um, 
outside of the resources that you have to keep track of that it just gets in the way of the actual the conflict itself yeah, the, the way I put it in my review is it's kind of like Westwood and Ensemble had a clumsy baby. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like ultimately this is a game you have to sort of fight to enjoy. You have to overcome a lot of things to sort of get at the meat that's there. Mm. And I'm not entirely sure of it, you know, even as the, I begin to really grok the game and figure out figure it out, uh yeah i i i i can appreciate what's going on there but i'm not necessarily invested in it and i think uh you know tom your your blurb on on twitter uh about it that that active aggression is a perfectly competent game uh that you you struggle to you you struggle to think of a reason you should play it uh you know i think that's kind of where i've come out as, as well it's, it's it's kind of the epitaph for this game yeah. i mean i hate to say this but as much as I've sort of tried to, def- well, as much as I do kind of want to defend some of the choices, uh, one of the first things I'm going to do after we record is uninstall it. <laughs> yeah. I might reinstall uh, Airland Battle or Red Dragon there. Hit me up Wait. on Skype. We should, uh, we should have a date. Uh, but that concludes this week's episode of Three Moves Ahead, uh, which is produced by Michael Hermes and is hosted as a part of the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show or discuss this episode with our community by visiting our website at threemovesahead.net. We'd also appreciate it if listeners would rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, you can follow Three Moves Ahead on Twitter using at 3MA and send questions to 3MA via questions at threemovesahead.net. I should also announce that I recently launched another podcast alongside my colleague Andrew Gruen called Esports Today, also hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, I mention it this week because I'm particularly happy with our most recent episode in which we get to talk about StarCraft at its very best in esports. Uh, you can follow both podcasts as well as, well as a host of other shows at idlethumbs.net, home of the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. Good night, all. Cheerio.